Welcome to season two of the Melrose Place cast. I'm Mary, and I'm here to convince my friend Teach that Melrose Place is a trashy, trashy soap opera, and that's perfectly okay. Uh, I'm Teach. I'm here to convince my good friend Mary that this show counts as high art for the generations, a time capsule into the future, and the future is now. The future is indeed now. And you know what's great is this is not a recap podcast because we're too busy having all these intellectual debates. Yes, we highly recommend that you pair us with your rewatch of Melrose Place. It will um, enhance the artistic integrity of the show. Mm, I guess that's one way to put it. You know, I can't believe we've made it to season two already. How far along are we in the grand scheme of things? Uh, we're about uh, 11%. That seems lower than I would like. Well, there's the seven seasons, plus the reboot season. Oh, God. Uh, this season had the lowest number of episodes. I guess that's forward to. And we only had five special episodes in season one, so season two is going to get longer. Oh, boy. Buckle up. Hello, and welcome Hi. to the Place cast. You hi. said hello. I said hi. Hello. Did I uh, mess up your rhythm? <laughs> I don't know. Do you think it did? <laughs> keep going. Keep going. We're live. We're live. Oh my God. We're live. Like always. Uh, today we're talking about season two, episode 27, psychotherapy. There's a hyphen in the middle. I'm Mary. I'm Teach. Yeah. The hyphen in the middle jumped out to me. Why is it there? I. It's unclear to me. I, this title is not good. <laughs> fair enough fair enough mary did you let was the episode good though you know this one's all right it's not my favorite one but like it's all right okay all right i thought there's there's parts that get a little bogged down like there's some really entertaining stuff but then there's some like okay enough already stuff yeah they're definitely doing some setting the stage there's only five more episodes the f- five episodes from now is the se- season finale Oh my god! So they're, yeah, they're clearly getting ready for that and putting some things in place for that moment. And yeah. there was a magnificent return at the end. Yes. Oh, that was. I mean, I knew it was happening sometime soon, but I didn't know it was now. So that was exciting. I thought the return, the first the audience saw of Kimberly. Kimberly's back, and we see this because at the very end of the episode, she's on the beach looking into the beach house, and she sees Michael and Sydney because Michael has given up fighting Sydney and he's decided they belong together, right? Hooray! But I thought the first we all saw of Kimberly again was when the when she uh, ripped the wig off in the mirror. So I, I'm surprised that there's a, an episode in between that. I assume that's next episode. I don't remember when that is, but it must be soon. Yeah, it's as soon as that's the first Michael hears of her being alive, so. Yeah. yeah well, well, Mary, I have, I found this show to be high art for the generations, worthy of literary praise. The writers are to be commended for the great work that they did. Can I, can I give you just a few nuggets of their um, intellectual beauty that they put on display for the, the good people of America? Yeah, I would love to hear more about that intellectual beauty. Okay, quote number one. I just thought it was the Steve syndrome all over again. <laughs> oh. All right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you hurt people that want to love you? Mm, we all yeah. wonder. Yeah, and Mary, it's high art. It's high art. That's a real question. And then lastly, sticking with the um, above-brow theme, I know sometimes I go a little low-brow. 
Trash today, bucking Bronco tomorrow, right, Dr. Cowboy? <laughs> oh, that's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Well, can I start with the first one? I just thought it was the Steve syndrome all over again. Sure, go for it. Amanda is every American's nosy neighbor. You know the one, Mary. The awesome. one on the street whose blinds are always open so she can see who's coming and going. Yeah. The one who is critical about people that don't cut their grass every eight days at least. Well, those people should cut it a little more often. You know, the, the, the Karen peering out the window just to see who's, who's coming into your house at 3 a.m. And, and why. God, I wonder. Have you had, yeah, have you had that problem, Mary? People coming to my house at 3 a.m.? Well, no, the neighbor trying to pay, figure out who it is. Well, yeah, but like everybody here does that, so <laughs> it's not it. <Yeah>. A... <laughs> well, this this is about Billy and Allison, and of course, Amanda has shoehorned herself in here. Amanda <laughs> was all over this episode, by the way. She was, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So um, here's here's what happened with Billy and Allison. Um, Billy says he thinks he made up with Jake because Jake didn't talk to him while getting his fishing stuff. So, okay. By the way, did you notice where the fishing... So Jake came by Billy's apartment to get his fishing stuff back. Did you see where Billy had kept it? I didn't notice, no. Straight up in the living room. Two fishing poles and a tackle box sitting right there in the living room. Even though it's well established that this complex has a storage unit large enough for Jane and Jane alone to have a queen-size mattress in. Yeah. I mean, they also have a second bedroom in that apartment because they're yeah. together, so they could also have gone in the bedroom. Maybe not if he knew Jake was coming. Maybe that's why it was there. <laughs> well, either way, Allison comes out and, and Billy says he thinks he made up with Jake. That's fine. Allison lies and says she's going to be late for a client meeting, um, but we really know she's meeting with her therapist. Doctor, was it, was it Dan Miller? That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Dan Miller. Um, later, Billy sees Jane and Amanda out together at Shooters. Oh, yeah, because Amanda's bitching, or Jane's bitching about running a business. Yeah, okay, great. Um, Jane has already fired her first person, so go Jane. Um, <laughs> anyway, Billy comes up and, and talks about Allison being working late, and Amanda, I think, I, I don't think she was shady yet, was like, what are you talking about? She's not working late. And Billy said, yeah, she's got a client meeting, a special project. And Amanda says, not any project I know about. <laughs> so far, so good, Amanda. You're not being a bitch yet. And then she just, for no reason, goes on to say, well, I just, I hope she's not up to her old tricks. You know, <laughs> lying to you about where she is while she's out with another man. <laughs> I was laughing, and, like out loud laughing, rockingly, because this was vintage Amanda. <laughs> And vintage nosy neighbor. Later, uh, Amanda sees Allison. I imagine you're talking about Dr. Miller and Allison as trash. Am I correct? Yeah, they might come up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I won't re relitigate their story other than to say they are out to lunch together um, for one of Allison's sessions. And Amanda comes by and you could just see the laughter on her face of like, are you fucking kidding me? Here she is having, <laughs> having a date right here. Um, so, uh, of course, Amanda goes up and, and talks to them. And later, Amanda makes a point to tell first Joe, then Billy, that uh, what she saw. And Amanda says, I just thought it was the Steve syndrome all over again. And here's 
here's what the Melrose Place writers, I believe, were going for in their heart of hearts, Mary. Okay. They were trying to shine a light on the, you know, essentially Karens before there was a concept of Karen. Oh, okay. You know, the, the, the PTA mom that gets too into the ingredients in the cupcakes you brought because little, little Jimbo Bob has a fake peanut allergy. Okay. <laughs> and you know, this is the, the suburban housewife of the time that would try and that took it to be their responsibility to learn what everybody was up to only so she could stir things up and then step back. Like, well, I didn't do anything. I was just, I was just talking about seeing Allison with someone that reminded me of Steve and how she used to cheat on Billy all the time. And that, that's her old trick. It was, it was wrong then. And it was wrong when Amanda does it. And Melrose Place wanted to just push that back to us so that we could all um, live up to our better angels. It was really, you know, the, the initial draft of the Be Best campaign from First Lady Melania Trump. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> who, who, who bravely took on cyberbullying from everybody except her husband. <laughs> yeah, she didn't do great on that part. Yeah, and while cyberbullying wasn't a thing yet in 1994, um, the nosy neighbor, the getting involved, the stirring things up, that was. And I think that's what Melrose Place was trying to warn us against, to not, to not go down that road, either collectively or individually. Mary, what did you think? What do you think they were going for? Um, I thought Amanda was just being a bitch, and I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th- those were some of the fun lines of the whole episode, and... She's not wrong. I mean, quite frankly, she's being very rude. She's being an asshole, but she's not wrong. None of the things she says are untrue. <laughs> like she, she's not wrong. So I couldn't be mad at her. But yeah, she she was doing a great job with that. It was very uh her delivery was so great. Like her facial expressions were like, Oh, I'm just I'm just mentioning this. Like, oh, I'm smiling, but haha, look at my eyes. Like <laughs> Do do you think it's a concern for Billy? Like that it's her concern for Billy that has her meddling? Maybe a tiny bit, but mostly no. I think she just likes messing with Allison because it's fun. Like if I were Amanda and I could mess with Allison, I would too. (laughs) (laughs) It was great. It was well done. It was one of my favorite parts of the whole show this week. Yeah, the the way she just went in, you know, I just hope she's not up to her old tricks again, which you could have just left it there and everybody knew what you meant, but for her to spell it out so plainly. Well, it might have been new viewers who, who didn't see everything. So, you know, it's it's good that she made it very clear what she was talking about. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I, th- I was impressed with how Billy handled it every time, the way he just played dumb and like, yeah, no, there's no problem here. Yeah, he's gotten better at that. Like he he doesn't always show that she's ruffling his feathers as quickly lately, which good because he's getting ruffled in so many places that maybe he just doesn't have enough acting skill to do it in more than one scene. <laughs> do you know this is something I thought I found it odd that they made a point to remind us that Billy and Jake were in a feud. Yeah, I kind of forgot that was still a thing. Yeah. Yes, and I think they did that in the beginning just to remind us that um, that there was the the awkwardness between Amanda and Billy because they were going to reference that whole thing later. So they needed to remind us, but not feel like they were hitting us over the head with it. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, listen, they're skilled at what they do. They're so good. They're so good. Oh, the skill! Oh my goodness. 
Mary, would you do you have a, a an argument to suggest that this great episode was trashed for any reason at all? Hearing none, I guess we can close out. <laughs> I can go watch TV. Um, no, I found I found some things. I'm debating which one to start with. Um, well, you know what? Let's kind of keep talking. About Wait, this. there's more than one. Yeah, believe it or not, I found more than one. Uh, I called this one, Joe won't use her gun on a defenseless rat, but Amanda will definitely use her knife on it. Uh, <laughs> Ted's back. Peeping Ted from last week, the former mm-hmm. hand. We see him come climbing out from behind a bush, and then he runs up the stairs and again goes into the suddenly vacant apartment that exists next to Amanda that's never been there before. It's uh, always been there. It's always been there, Mary. I can't believe you're still arguing this. this is, one, do you recognize this is not Sydney's apartment? I don't, because this apartment never existed, but, like, why would it have been empty the whole time? It's been empty the whole time we've watched the show. No one has ever lived in this apartment. Like, why would that okay. have But it's been there. No, it hasn't. This is a bunch of malarkey. Uh, Listen, and- the, the Sheltering in Melrose Place cast, folks, they claim in the most recent episode I listened to that they thought some of the extras in the past were meant to be people who stayed at the, the other apartments, which I have... I found that odd. We never saw that, right? No, and this show made such a big deal, especially in the first season, of how all of them would hang out together by the pool and have parties and Christmas and Thanksgiving. Like, why would there be, like, one person who never shows up? That's so... No, that this apartment was made up, and that's fine. But let's just own that it was made up. Like, it's fine. The whole thing Maybe is... That, made- that building has been... That, the, 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 the aerial shots of the building showed the door the whole time. I don't, I don't believe any of this, and I refuse to acknowledge it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Ted is back. He goes in that apartment because she just never locks the door, apparently. And uh, He took a key! Then, you know what? Then it's on her. She should have changed the lock. She should have known better, especially after what happened. But anyway. Oh, we, we don't trust people anymore in this country? God, no. People? <laughs> <laughs> okay. like, anyway. He shows up again. He goes back up in his hidey hole in the ceiling and he's up in the crawl space and he's crawling over her apartment. We see Amanda's home and listening to piano jazz, which was an interesting choice. Uh, He's thumping around and she hears something. And so she looks up and she turns off her piano jazz and she's listening. And we kind of see Ted scurrying around, but he doesn't make any more noise. And she kind of goes back to what she's doing. And we see Ted at the corner ceiling of her bedroom remove literally like a six inch square of <laughs> like I'm not fucking around it was huge it's like the size of a book uh, and so she comes in of course and starts undressing on the edge of the bed and I'm like there is no way on God's green earth you would not notice the size of this hole in the ceiling this is ridiculous mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's peeping and there is more peeping like last time uh, well later- not, not just that would you notice it the physicality the physics of the the hole that was cut out doesn't make sense because it was just cut straight down on all four sides there was nothing to hold it in place yeah i don't know maybe he just he cut it at an angle so it sits i don't know anyway oh like a like a pumpkin lid yeah like a pumpkin lid that's a good good way to describe that um anyway later amanda and joe are going through photos and joe shows amanda this one she took of allison and billy and she's like oh that would make a good wedding present and amanda goes well what if they're getting married yeah. <laughs> i wrote what the fuck amanda Jesus, <laughs> she's like well of course they're getting married. amanda goes don't bet on it 
Billy told me Allison lied to him about having a business meeting last night, and today I saw her having lunch with a very attractive man. And Joe is clearly very uncomfortable, and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, there's a thump from above. And Amanda goes, you know, that's the second time I've heard something from up there. And so she gets up to investigate, and Joe follows her. Uh, They kind of go over by her bedroom wall, and we can see Ted on the other side. He's, like, scampering around and climbing up in the ceiling again. Uh, Joe's like, what's on the other side of this wall? And Amanda says, the bedroom in the vacant apartment that never existed before last week. It always existed. And she goes, you know, this is an old building. It's probably just like a rat or something. And we cut back to Ted and he's climbing around and he drops something. So they hear it again. And now Amanda asks Joe if she's still got her gun. And Joe replies, yeah, but I'm not going to use it as a defenseless rodent. Uh, sidebar, how would Joe still have a gun? She got accused of a felony. He harpooned a guy. Like, yeah, we're coming, we're coming back to the fact that Joe just beat a murder one charge <laughs> for someone she admits to killing. Yeah. And, uh, her, her decisions later in this episode are gonna gonna bring for me. Oh my god, no shit! So they go into the vacant apartment next door, and I was laughing because Joe's carrying this big ass, which flashlight. always existed. Uh huh. Joe's got a big flashlight, and a man has got a golf club, and they go in, <laughs> like the Bobsy twins, and they walk around. They don't find anything, so they leave. And then we cut back to peeping Ted, and he's like, "Woo!" Wiping sweat off his forehead up in his hidey hole. Um. Later, Amanda's at home again, and she's getting ready for bed and turning off the lights. So, of course, we see Peeping Ted wandering around again. We cut over to Amanda at her place, locking her door, and she looks out, and she sees a flashlight moving around in the vacant apartment. So she calls Amanda on the telephone. It, and- was, it, was, it was Joe that saw this flashlight, you accidentally you said Amanda. Oh, I'm sorry. Just for our listeners. It's okay. Listen, we are nothing if not accurate. <laughs> That's certainly true. Yeah. Uh, she calls Amanda on the phone. Amanda doesn't answer because she's in the shower. And then as the phone rings, we see peeping Ted come in Amanda's front door. Joe can mm-hmm. see the flashlight beam in Amanda's apartment. So she runs out down the stairs. She's running to Amanda's. Meanwhile, Ted is in the apartment. He gets to the bathroom door and he's peeping at Amanda in the shower. Joe starts banging the hell out of the front door, yelling for Amanda. Ted, of course, hears this and he makes a run for the other room. And Joe hears it. Amanda hears, gets out of the shower, lets her in. And Joe's like, someone's in your apartment. Like, Jesus. And they hear a clunk, and so Amanda runs over to the kitchen and grabs two of the largest knives I have ever seen out of her like block thing where the knives go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they go over, and they're listening, and they're quiet, and they hear more noise. And so they open the closet door, and Ted's legs are dangling down from his hidey hole. And so they pull him down, and they got the knives to his face. And he's like, I wasn't going to do anything, I swear. And Joe says, call the police. And Amanda goes, forget the police. I think I want to take care of this pervert myself. I was like, oh, here we go. Ted, we cut back. He has been tied up and dumped on the floor. He's leaning against a wall. Amanda is just staring at him and glaring. And Joe's like, okay, like, it's time to let him go. We've been here for hours. Like, let's just, like, and then she goes one step too far. She's like, Amanda, he's just a peeper. Let's just call the cops. And Amanda's like, so they can do what? Just let him go? Uh, No, arrest you for kidnapping him, right? Like, they can't call the cops now. No. Uh, and Joe's like, you know, he's probably done this before. He's probably got a record. He'll get arrested. And Amanda's like, he's sick, Joe. And that means he's probably mad enough that he got caught that he'll come back and do something worse, which is a legitimate fear. I can't argue with that. Ted, at this point, very stupidly starts talking and says, I didn't touch you. I didn't hurt you. 
Like, Ted, you should just not talk ever yeah, again. This is this is not the time to talk to Amanda Woodward. No, don't try to mansplain peeping to her right now. Uh, Amanda jumps up and kneels down next to him with the knife right in his face. And she's like, yeah, you did. You invaded my privacy. And Ted is starting to breathe fast like he's scared. And he's like, you kidnapped me. I'm the one who should call the cops. So I'm like, well, you know, he's not wrong. Yeah, and he's not wrong. Amanda says, how are you going to do that, Ted? Looks to me like you can't even move. You're completely defenseless. She keeps moving the nice knife by his face. She's like, you think I'm crazy, don't you? Who knows? You might be right. And Joe looks very uncomfortable in the background, as she should. Uh, later, I don't know how much more time has passed. He's still tied up on the floor. Joe's like, okay, like, uh, Amanda, I got to tell you this, like, <laughs> industrious boy, there's a hole in your shower and one in the attic. And she found some sort of silky negligee upstairs that is probably Amanda's. Uh, Ted again decides to talk and Amanda's like, <laughs> what and he says, uh, you, lots of you in the shower, in bed, in bed with Jake. And she goes, did you like what you saw? And he very stupidly says, I've seen better. Oh, <laughs> all right, Ted. Uh, she goes, well, that was me. You've done this before. And he goes, look, bitch, just kill me or call the cops. The murder routine's getting old. And she says, yeah, yeah, it is getting old. Uh, Joe's like, uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> says, I've been sitting here all night trying to figure out what would make me feel better. Seeing this pig dead would be a plus, but I'm not about to give up my life for his. I've thought about jail, but that's just so ordinary. And prisons are full of perverts. You probably just make friends. Ted's <laughs> <laughs> like, but yeah, but I'll tell the court it was only temporary. And she goes on, you know, Ted's crime is looking. So Ted's punishment should be that he can't look anymore. And he's like, what does that mean? And she's like, I'm going to blind you. And she shoves him against the wall and she puts the knife up by his face, right by his eye. And he starts crying like a little bitch, which I would do oh, if I... Oh, a little sexist, Mary. Well, is it? Anyway, uh, she says you're pathetic. And she gets up and she walks past Joe and hands her the knife and says, call the cops. Uh, Don't call the cops. <laughs> you, you're not in the strong position you think you are. <laughs> Although I guess they could say he's lying because there's two of them. But then again, Joe's got quite the track record. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. This Joe, whole don't, story... don't talk to police, Joe. Don't talk to police. Yeah, the police are not Joe Reynolds's friend at this point. Um, this whole thing was wildly entertaining, uh, but completely ludicrous. And um, I, I, I don't think I even need to explain anymore about how soap opera this was. Wait a minute. The... the... <sighs> You didn't see the high art, what they were doing? No, no, I didn't. No. Oh, my goodness. Well, let's I, start with Watergate. Let's start with Watergate. What? Okay, this is fun. So this all started because Joe Beth Reynolds saw the flashlight in what should have been an empty room. And she handled it herself. And the, the similarity to Watergate, what they were trying to portray is that if only the person involved in Watergate had just went over and cut out the eyes of the burglars, we would have been saved from that long national nightmare of Watergate. And we would have had President Nixon for eight long years. Eight more years. Eight more years. Yeah. So that was one. The other thing they were going for was the fact that those knives never needed to be sharpened to Mary. <laughs> How do we know that? 
Well, because of the excesses of American capitalism. So here's a, a true fact. A, a summer job I once had was to sell knives to people. Okay. Thank you for clarifying to people. <laughs> yeah. <And> so I... <laughs> So, so I, 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 I may seem like I've been more informed about the, the makeup of knives than most. That's why. Um, but one of our main competitors, if you remember back in the day, was Ginsu. Do you remember them? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they, one of their biggest claims was their knives never needed to be sharpened. Mm. Do you know why they could say that? Why? Because you can't fucking sharpen them. They have this special serrated edge to them that doesn't allow for sharpening so yeah it doesn't need to be sharpened because it still goes dull but when it goes dull you just throw it away is this led... so into watching dexter <laughs> i'm re-watching dexter actually yes <laughs> so but the, the, these knives the one that amanda was holding by his face did you look at the serrated edge on it nope it was so weird it looked like, go back and, and watch this, listener, because Mary, I know you won't, and no. I won't either. I but it looked like um, think of the knife, the cutting edge, just had on it probably, I would say, a dozen um, little miniature battle axe edges. So it, they were like popping up, and you could put like a little coffee stirrer straw in between each serrated edge. So I don't know how this knife worked or functioned, but I do know... There was no scenario where you would sharpen that knife. So if Amanda would have taken that to the interior of Ted's eyeballs, she would have needed to buy a new knife set. Because the, the orbital bone definitely would have dulled it. And again, she would not be able to sharpen it. How many hours a week do you spend watching Dexter? <laughs> Listen, I am... Knives are my thing. Um... So there's that. Knives are your thing. That's the part we should play on a loop. <laughs> <laughs> I I would never do that, Mary. <laughs> no, no, never. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna. I I I appreciate the information you're sharing with me about Ginsu knives and their yes. their uh, marketing materials. But and, uh, and what and how dumb Americans were to fall for that nonsense. I guess I was too young to be buying knives, so I I don't really, I don't know. I still don't. Too young. You can always use a good knife. What have you got a peeper? You know, I've never had a peeper, as far as I know. Well, statistics suggest one's coming then. (laughs) That's very reassuring. Thank you. Now I will feel left out. Well, maybe, Mary, uh, it might be time to transition to my next point. I think, yeah, we should stop talking about your love of knives now for your own good. We should we should move along and talk about something <laughs> else. <laughs> All right. Um, I would like to next talk about uh, Dr. Dan Miller. Oh, okay. Who asked Allison, why do you hurt people that just want to love you, Allison? Hmm. Mary, I want to go out on a limb here. I don't think this guy's a good psychologist. <laughs> so he's clearly taking Allison out on dates, right? You know, I remember when we watched this a couple of years ago for the first time. Uh-huh. Um, another one of our friends there who is an actual therapist. And I remember yeah. her, there were many like, what the hell? 
going yeah. on. So yeah, it was very wrong. It was very wrong what he was doing. Yeah, I think he crossed several lines and then very conveniently at the end of the episode was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I, yeah, I think he, he was dancing right up to the edge there and right over the edge. Yeah. So he is, so we learned last week, Allison was infatuated with her therapist, uh, a, a concept named, uh, called transference, which Joe Beth Reynolds clearly uh, defined for us conveniently. <laughs> um, she's just impressed that this doctor just listens so well and seems genuinely concerned. Yeah. Uh, later in this episode, Allison said, you have this way of making me feel like I'm the only person you care about. And he <laughs> said, well, right now you are the only person I care about. Which was <laughs> fine. But clearly leaving Allison on. Allison was thrown because Dr. Miller is asking a lot of questions about Allison's sex life, including like, when do you feel most fulfilled when you're pleasing your partner or when your partner's pleasing you, which I get the need to talk about sex. Perhaps I don't think it was established in this relationship yet. And we don't yet have any reason to believe these dreams are connected to sex in any way. So I, it did seem odd. And clearly uh, Dr. Miller must've known Allison was feeling infatuated when she said things like, I don't know anything about you. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Like that type of thing. So he was playing up to this. I just, I think uh, a better therapist may have been Dr. Shaw's marriage counseling. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it probably couldn't have been any worse. Yeah. But Billy comes and confronts Dr. Miller about why are you hitting on my lady friend? She's my property. You know, that type of macho manly stuff. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, in the end, Allison is talking to him and, and talking to Dr. Miller, who says what Billy said. And Allison says, well, aren't you hitting on to me? Weren't you coming on to me? And Dr. Miller was like, what are you talking about? No, not <laughs> at all. I ask everybody their blowjob techniques. That's part of my method. And <laughs> Allison recites back, like, we went on a date. I know you don't do that with other clients. You're, we're meeting over lunch. Like, you can't tell me there's not something special. And Allison says, you mean to tell me you don't have any feelings for me at all? And Dr. Miller says, and not personally, no. That's like, okay, well, he's setting <laughs> clear boundaries now. He's setting clear boundaries now. So that's good. Um, maybe a little sooner would have been helpful. But we can only get what we get. But in the end, and this is the part, I, this may have been the end of Dr. Miller in the show. But he pushes Allison and says, Allison, why do you hurt the people that just want to love you? And that is the deep thought she and we, we all need to think about. Because I think in this cruel, cruel world, Mary, you know, it's a cruel, cruel world. Sure. Yeah. We're, we're hardest on the people closest to us. And why are we like that? Well, because they're right there. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't expecting you to have an answer right away. <laughs> well, just like they're right there. I mean, that's not to do. So, you know, I suppose it's a little bit like, why did you rob the bank? That's where the money is, right? That is where the money is. It's not at my house, peepers. So don't come here. <laughs> peepers aren't looking for money. They're looking for something. <laughs> well, anyway, that I thought was high art for the generations, Mary. Dr. Miller challenging us all to think about why we are not kinder to the people that love us the most. This is awkward because I was going to talk about all this as a trashy point. <laughs> it's awkward. Uh, it doesn't quite make sense to me. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to prepare myself for that. And let's come back after, uh, after a break. 
Okay, I think that's a good idea. Let's go, let's go stretch and get ready. That's a work. My thumb is sore from my my sports injury. That's right. You're you've been involved in sports again, which yeah. It's good that you keep trying. (laughs) Before we highlight this week's sponsor, we would like to remind you that this is a parody podcast. Uh oh. This week's episode of the Melrose Placecast is brought to you by Ginsu Knives! Oh shit. Mary, these knives do everything. They slice, they dice, they chop, they crop. If you want to do cut, cut your hair with them, you can get a crop top too. They do all the things and for a low, low price. These are the kitchen utensils we've all needed. And Mary, they're back now in 2021. It's still 2021, right? Yeah. In 2021 with a new model. Would you like to hear about the new model, Mary? Yes, I would. They are the Woodward set. Ginsu Woodward set. They cut everything. They cut butter, whether it's warm or not. What? It can cut right through cold butter, Mary. Now, there's there's a weird serration to the edge. uh, So it kind of just more of like a rip and tear of the butter, but the butter will come into pieces is the end result there. That's all I needed to do. Now, if you're making salad for dinner, it's going to chop up your iceberg lettuce. Now, we won't judge you for eating iceberg lettuce, which has no nutritional value. You may as well be eating air. I don't know why the fuck you didn't get romaine, but whatever. The knife will cut the lettuce. Mmm, that iceberg. Tasty. Now, imagine you're having a nice tofu steak for dinner. That's going to be hard for me, but I'll try. Now, whether you've overcooked it or not, this knife will glide right through it. Again, by glide, I mean rip apart with because there's like battle axe edges on the Woodward set of the Ginsu brand. New in 2021. The perfect Christmas gift, really. What about Hanukkah? We didn't plan for that. Oh, shit. You better update the marketing materials. The perfect gift for the whole holiday season, Mary. Look, if, if you've got a coworker and you didn't get them anything for New Year's Eve, hurry up and get the Ginsu Woodward knives. Now, Mary... We talked about tomatoes, onions, lettuce, iceberg, or real lettuce. Anything you're going to need. But do you know what else these knives do? What? They come so handy, Mary. If you need to poke out the eyes of some fucking peeping Tom that cut a hole in your bedroom and drilled a hole in your shower and has been watching you and violated your sense of privacy, which really does hurt you, you can take this knife and jam it straight through those motherfuckers' eyes. Because if his crime was looking... His punishment should be that he can't look. And Ginsu brand knives, the Woodward sets, are the perfect solution. I'd just like to make it very clear I had nothing to do with this production of this ad to the good people at Ginsu. <laughs> this is a parody podcast. It's much like Saturday Night Live. I believe that will protect us legally. <laughs> now, Mary, do you have anyone in your life that you think either uh, needs the treatment uh, of having their eyes poked out or may need to to have these knives available to them for their own other purposes. I mean, I don't need the knives to, to cut on anyone's eyes. I can say it very definitively. And very good, public. good. I do not need that for anything. Um, I'm sure I have, you know, friends and loved ones, though, who could use a new set of knives for normal knife usage, like in the kitchen. 
<laughs> well, anyway, these knives are everything. Whether you need to cut out the eyes of a peeper to teach him a lesson, or you need to start a fire that nobody can trace back to you, you're going to need Woodward brand Ginsu knives, now available for Christmas or any other holiday. Wow, what a great product to get involved in the podcast. Uh, now, our <laughs> listeners should go to Ginsu.com. There is no promo code, but also don't tell them we sent you. We do not want the good folks at Ginsu to hear this. No, no. Yeah, again, I had nothing to do with this advertising. Do you think it helps if we say it's Ginsu, G-I-N-S-O-O? Are we then safe? Yeah, sure. That's that's the one. <laughs> Ginsu! Oh, oh. And we are back for the second half of season two, episode 27 of the Melrose Place cast. We are discussing psycho-therapy. I'm Tej. I'm Mary, and that's still a terrible title for this half episode. <laughs> it, it, may, it may be, but it was, it was a high art episode for sure. I think I've made a compelling argument so far, but I've had two cracks at the apple. You don't say cracks at the apple, do you? I've had two cracks at the sidewalk, and you've only had one. So why don't you take another swing, Mary? <laughs> swig. Take another swig. Oh, all right. Um, well, I'm going to kind of build off where you left it. I called this one, Allison's Got an Appointment with Dr. Mixed Signal. Dr. Mixed Signal. <laughs> so I'll try not to repeat it. So, yeah, she's having therapy with Dr. Dan Miller, who is, I mean, I'll give it, he, He's he's not a bad looking guy as far as you know compared to some of these other weirdos she's been out with. Uh, yeah, he's he's asking her about her sex life. She's uncomfortable because she's Allison and she's from Wisconsin. Uh, he offers to like, oh, okay, so she's hungry and she has a headache because she hasn't eaten. And they go to the marina for lunch and seafood. Not normal. Not normal. I don't. I don't think that's a normal uh, protocol. So then we cut to them dining al fresco, and uh, she's like, "Oh, you're you look different away from all your psychology books. You look like a real person." Like, that's, that's not a, doesn't I think she means that as a compliment, but it's not great. Uh, no, it's always interesting working with a beautiful patient. For some women, beauty creates its own set of problems. And Allison goes, "Don't tell me you're referring to me." And he says, oh, "You're attractive, don't you?" And she's like, "Oh, I don't know." <laughs> And he goes, oh, it's okay to be beautiful, Allison. It's also okay for me to notice that you're beautiful. Red flag! Red flag! Like, nope, this is not okay. Uh, she thanks him and she says, you know, I, I've never been good at accepting compliments. And he's like, you're uncomfortable. And she says, oh, no, it's fine. You have a way of making me feel like I'm the only person here, the only person you care about. And he says, well, right now you are the only person I care about. And again, she's like, she wants to know more about him. He says, well, you have my phone number and my address. That's all you need. I will say, he, he, that, that was right. That was the right thing to say in that moment, right? Yeah. And she starts daydreaming. She's like, oh, you must be married with kids because you look like you'd be a good father. You used to play tennis, but you gave it up. And right then, a group walks in with Amanda for lunch. <laughs> Alex stops dead in her tracks and she goes, oh, God. And Amanda spots her and she's like Jaws and she comes swimming her up and goes, hi, Allison, with a big smile on her face. She's like, I had no idea this restaurant was so popular for lunch meetings. Allison forces a smile and Amanda's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to intrude. And Dr. Miller's like, oh, you haven't. We're just talking. 
And so Allison introduces him as Dan Miller instead of Dr. Dan Miller, which might have... No, he had to introduce himself. Allison didn't know what to say. All right. Well, then uh, she introduces Amanda as her boss. And Amanda smiles. She's like, oh, it's so nice to meet you. And she looks at Allison. She's like, well, I'll see you back at the office. And as she walks away, Allison's like, oh, my God, don't ask. I'm on a budget and talking about Amanda would put me in bankruptcy, which I thought was a funny one. Um, I didn't get it at first. Now I understand. (laughs) Because the therapy bill. That therapy bill. Oh, my God. Uh, He laughs and he's like, that's fair enough. But you were wrong. I still play tennis. And I'm very single. Red flag! Yeah, yeah. Like, Allison's not wrong. No, she's not wrong this time. No. Uh, okay, so we cut later. She's asleep. She's having a dream. We figure out very quickly because she's on a beach and it looks like the opening of a Time Life infomercial about like a collection of soft rock, soft rock ballads from the 80s. Like that's what this looks like. It's the camera swoop. <laughs> she's standing on the shore in this gauzy white outfit. And what won't you know, Dr. Dan Miller comes from behind. He starts rubbing her shoulders and he's kissing her neck and they embrace and they're kissing and they fall down toward the sand in a passionate embrace. And we hear Allison say, oh, doc. oh doctor. <laughs> Allison jolts awake in bed and Billy wakes up too. And he's like, oh my God, did you have another nightmare? And she's like, uh, not exactly. <laughs> okay. Shouldn't she have said yes? Yes. I had a nightmare. Yeah. If she were smarter. Yeah. Yeah. She should have, but she's not that smart. Uh, Billy's like, oh, come here. I'll make the bad guys go away. And he's trying to like mack on her a little. And she's like, ah, not tonight, Billy. And she lays back down. And so does he, but he pouts. There's a lot of pouting. Um, Billy shows up. He confronts her like he talked about later. uh, And she's like, are you coming on to me? And he says, no. But it's interesting that she thinks that. And I'm like, you fucker. Like, just stop it with her. Like, stop doing this. Uh, she, like you said, she's like, every conversation we have is about sex. You do things for me that I know you aren't doing for other patients, like these lunch meetings. You know, everything I think about you, you know, about you. And he tries to backtrack. He's like, you know, dreams aren't literal, Allison. And oh my God, this guy, uh, he's, she asks, why are you asking me personal questions? And he says, it's my job. (laughs) Well, that's right. Right. That's not wrong, but I just, I, oh my God, this whole thing. Uh, she replies, are you saying you don't have feelings for me? And he says, not on a personal level, no. And she pouts. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you, woman? Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, and she's engaged. She's fully engaged. And she just came in there mad, like, that Billy's upset and all this stuff. And, and then they have the conversation you described where she's like, he says, you want men to fall in love with you. And then you want to get rid of them and hurt them. And why do you keep doing that? Which is completely valid in this moment he's being a very good therapist in most of the other ones he's not but he is not wrong about what he's telling her right now um whew, this was a lot this whole plot line is a lot it's um it's it, like i said there's moments here where there are moments of clarity where he seems to be doing a good job and actually is listening and trying to like congeal these thoughts for her so she starts noticing her behavior but then he's like Oh, you're so beautiful. It must be hard. Like you can't. That's not okay. Like that's. I'm not a therapist, but I'm pretty sure that's not okay. That's not how it's supposed to go. No, I don't think so. And the dream sequence, if nothing else, the dream sequence took this straight to soap opera town because that that was great. Uh, uh, oh shit! I wasn't expecting to have to argue that point. <laughs> um. It really did make me miss those Time Life commercials, though, for those compilations of, like, 
sweet ballads from the 80s. Oh, my God. You, you know, that that's a good way to think about it, because I was going towards an older demographic of like, oh, this is about reverse mortgages. <laughs> you know, live on the beach. <laughs> but the, the people who would have bought those time life ba- or those those ballad compilations are getting pretty close to reverse, reverse mortgage age. They probably are. Yeah, their kids are getting out of school. They're going to, you know, maybe they're looking for a vacation condo in Boca. Yeah, like their, their daughter's at college now, so they turn her room into a knitting room and they don't really use it as much as they thought. So maybe it's time to downsize. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the kids don't come see us anymore anyway. They're too busy with their lives. They don't have time for us. Maybe they've outgrown us. Oh, God. I'm getting kind of sad. I feel like I should call my parents. I, you probably should. I just saw them like two hours ago. They're fine. Okay, good. <laughs> um, oh, gee. Okay, so, you know, I think they were, um, they were trying to give us a lesson on transference, so I'll, I'll chalk that up a little bit to art. Okay. And I would like to move on. <laughs> All right. I'm, yeah, I'm going to get that one to death. <laughs> um, I just, I have to say, I'm not feeling good about Billy and Allison's wedding. Those two little lovebirds, what do you mean? You don't think that's going to work out? <laughs> no, I think, no. But I, I'm glad that we're clearly running towards a season finale wedding. Those oh. are always fun. Oh, nothing ever goes wrong at those. No. It's gonna be just, just, make, just make sure Allison doesn't have tennis shoes. Uh, also, a runaway bride reference. Julia Roberts, she doesn't know how she likes her eggs. Scrambled. Well, whatever. Okay, so I am tickled that we've now talked about Michael and Sydney yet. Yeah, yeah. We're. I think we're both. We were saving that for last. I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> my our point is um, the quote: "Trash today, bucking Bronco tomorrow." Right, <laughs> Doctor Cowboy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> So the, the reason this is high art, uh, people who find themselves uh, doing things that they should not, there's always this moment, or I suppose I should say, there's always this threat of this moment where it could come back to them in the worst way possible. And Melrose Place wanted all of us, every person watching Melrose Place, to live our, our best lives, to be the best version of ourselves that we can. So they crafted this nightmare as a warning of the human condition. All right. Yep. So here's what we learn. Uh, Dr. Stanley Levin is in um, Lauren's Black Book of Clients. So we know Dr. Stanley Levin enjoys the services of a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We also learned that he likes to play cowboy and that his his favorite girl is Ingrid. Yes. Ingrid. We're naming people in 1970 Ingrid? You know, I'm going to allow it because she looks like an Ingrid. She does not. Yes, she does. She's like this tall, blonde, Nordic looking lady. She could be an Ingrid. Ingrid should be in their 50s. I don't, they should just skip right to their 50s. (laughs) 
you know, they're born as babies like all other people, and then they become older Ingrids. So we learn that uh, Dr. Stanley Levin has to appoint a chief resident, and Michael is bummed to learn that he's not on the finalist list. The finalist list for this job (laughs) (laughs) was handled the same way the lead in the high school musical is handled. I wrote the same I know, it's the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, he just put out on a sheet of paper in the break room, here's the three finalists for the chief resident position. And Michael's name is not on it. And everybody makes it very clear that, of course, his name wouldn't be on it. Michael goes to Levin, who says, the finalist, you weren't even on the starting list. (laughs) Levin later goes to fire Michael. And Michael says, you're not going to fire me. In fact, by this time tomorrow... I'm going to be appointed chief, appointed chief resident, and you're going to be the one to do it. Yeah. Now, he, this son of a bitch pulled it off, Mary. He really did. He, he really did. Dr. Levin is hosting a party to announce the new chief resident, and it's clear that it's this preppy guy who's going to get the job. And we see Levin with his wife and his daughter, and he says to the guy who's going to get the chief resident job, you should try having a family. It's so great to have a family to come home to. And just then, Mary, who walks into the party? (laughs) Dr. Michael Mancini with this shitty grin. (laughs) And who is on his arm? Is it his wife? No. His current wife? You mean this wife, Sydney? (laughs) No. Is it his ex-wife? No. Is it his dead fiance? That would be awkward. No. No. He brought Ingrid, (laughs) Dr. Levin's prostitute. And walks straight up to Levin and his wife. His wife goes off with Ingrid, his hus- her husband's prostitute, to get her a drink. And Michael <laughs> leans in and makes it very clear that Levin is being, being blackmailed. And Michael will be the chief resident. And it worked. <laughs> the weaknesses, the weaknesses of the American male, as captured by Dr. Levin, came home to roost, came back around. And Mary, that's why I think it's high art for the generations. You just, you just can't be doing that and expect not to get consequences. I... Accept your concession. <laughs> no. Oh. No. Uh, no, this was, this was the most soapy soap of everything. I, I mean, there were so many soapy things in this one, but this storyline is just... It is like a beautiful gift that just kept unwrapping throughout the episode. Uh, I could watch this all episode. We could have just jettisoned the rest of them because this is where it's at. Um, oh my god! Like, yeah. I mean, do you want me to just launch into it? Like, yeah. How did how did you perceive this? Because I, I mean, you saw how, you heard how I perceived it. Maybe you saw it through a different lens. Um, I, I would say I probably did. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So I, mean, I won't go over. The, so yeah. So I love that he was just sitting out eating breakfast and casually flipping through her little black book. <laughs> like, here, uh, like that's not your normal uh, breakfast time at most people's houses. Um, I love that Doctor Levin is in the book uh, and that he's <laughs> he's into playing cowboy. It just really was a treat. Um, you know, Michael, he has so many good lines. He was talking about how that guy always looks down on him. And he's like, you know, I'm no Pope, but I'm not out playing rodeo roundup with some cheesy. Uh, no offense. <laughs> he says to Sydney. Uh, oh, my God. And Sydney's whole thing, this whole episode is like, 
don't interfere with my business. <laughs> and so she's like, my reputation is based on discretion. And Michael's like, ah, oh, that's part of it. <laughs> oh my God. By the way, by the way, her, her reputation is based on discretion. She has Lauren's book while Lauren is very publicly in jail. And Sydney is calling these men saying, Lauren gave me the book with your name in it. <laughs> oh my God. And the whole, the scene with that like mimeograph of the top three list on the bulletin board was just exactly like you said. I said it reminded me of a... <laughs> It reminded me of trying out for plays in high school. Like, it was so dumb. And I really loved, there's a little detail. So there's, like, the super golden boy doctor whose name is, like, Taylor or something. Yeah. And he's the one really being a dick to Michael. And he's, like, making fun of him because his name's not on the list. And there's, like, a height discrepancy between them. Like, Michael's, so like, like, a head shorter. Like, Taylor looks really big and tall. He looks like a really big guy. And I loved that the way they filmed it whenever Taylor was looking at Michael, it was like looking down at him. And then whenever Michael was looking at him, it looked up. I was just like, that was a nice touch. They didn't have to do that. It was, it was, it was enjoyable. Um, oh my God. And then Levin being a dick and being like, you didn't even make it on the first list, let alone the last list. <laughs> when Michael gets home from work and Sydney's having another party with the foxy ladies, I'm like, is this the, do you just not want to rent a room somewhere? This is so weird. And this time it's got like all the guys from the black book who are just like hanging out with all these foxy ladies. Um, yeah, not foxy men. Yeah, sadly, there's no foxy men at this party at all. Not even, not even silver foxes. No, no, I'd be thrilled to see a silver fox at the party. Um, she's very proud to tell him that she kept the bedroom off limits because she knew he'd be tired when he got home. <laughs> he said, "Our bedroom's off limits to hookers. Hell, must be frozen over." Um, <laughs> He's still trying to be such a nice little wife. And she's like, I made you dinner. I'm going to go heat it up <laughs> like during my sex party. And it is like, not a sex party. These are just people who have sex. It's fine. Uh, he wants to meet Ingrid and Cindy does not approve. But he's like, I just want to meet little Annie Oakley. <laughs> he made me laugh. And then, like you said, we see Ingrid, who's this really tall, like statuesque blonde lady with this long wavy hair. And he goes, that woman makes it with Stanley Levin. And Sydney goes for two grand a pop. Like, oh my god! Pop. Oh, oh, pop. Um, he kind of shoes her away. He's really patronizing. He's like, "Go be a good girl, Sydney, and play with your friends." And she glares at him, and I'm like, "Oh!" And he goes up to Ingrid, and they start talking about Doctor Levin, and she, he she doesn't know who that is, and then she's like, "Oh, Doctor Cowboy." <laughs> um. There's that scene where he's going to scrub in for surgery with Levin and Taylor and they think he's drunk from the night before. And he's like, no, I'm not hung over. Like, I'm just like, my eyes are red. Like, I'm not drunk. And uh, Levin really leans into him and he's like, you know, I'm going to take you to the medical board. And Michael goes, ooh, the medical board. And it was just so funny. Uh, oh, God. And then Sydney wants to go to the party with him. And he's like, no, you look like a madam. <laughs> And he doesn't need a madam running up her mouth at the party. And uh, she's he's worried he's going to get fired. And she goes, what good's being married to a doctor if he isn't employed? <laughs> well, that's a fair question. Um, the whole scene, I'm trying not to read everything you already said, but like the whole thing at the party when he brings Ingrid, I laughed so hard when they came walking in because he has that shitty grin and the son of a bitch pulled it off. I can't believe it. <laughs> And that whole scene was so well played. I love the camera work. Like when he and Ingrid walk in, they zoom in on Dr. Levin's face. 
like, oh shit. <laughs> I love when they say he says the new resident is Mancini and there are audible gasps in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and then when Michael goes up to shake his hand, he grabs Levin's hand, he's shaking it, and he just grinned like the cat who ate the canary. It's so well done. He gets home from his triumph, and Sydney is mad because she he used Ingrid to blackmail Levin, and he's like, yeah, look at me telling you about blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> and then she gets all tragic. I'm afraid to the chief resident. <laughs> like, What's going on? This is amazing. And she's like, I don't care. Like, I'm not going to quit my job because she says I like it and I'm good at it. And besides, even if they made you Surgeon General, I'd make more money than you. <laughs> and the best part of that scene was he kind of shrugs and then he nods like, yeah, she makes more. And then he <laughs> just sits down like he's going to take a nap. Oh, it was all just a delicious feast. And then the, the very end when he makes her that romantic dinner and she keeps thinking it's a trick and he's going to yell at her. And he goes, nope, I'm not, I'm not fighting you anymore. I think Jane might have been right about us. Ozzy and Harriet, we ain't, but we belong together. We um, belong together. They do. They kind of, you know, I mean, they're terrible people, but they do motivate each other well. And then we look out. And there's good old Dr. Kimberly Shaw, and there's wailing guitars and crashing waves, and she doesn't look happy. So tune in next week for more of this trash. I love it. Listen, Kimberly is back. It's what we needed, and I am fired up and ready to go. Oh, my God. Yeah, this, this now we're cooking with gas. Like, here we go. Ooh. How exciting. And it's art. And it's art. All right. <laughs> uh, Mary, were there any other highlights that you wanted to address? I think only two things because we, we've talked this out. Um, I loved when I think it was the first session Allison was having with Dr. Miller and he said, I think we should see each other three times a week. And her eyes get big and she goes, three? Am I that bad? <laughs> I was like, oh, poor Allison. But it made me laugh. Um, and then there's the scene at the hospital. It's the only time we see Matt. And this is after Michael has yeah. been as the chief resident. Matt comes up and he shoves these papers back at Michael and he's like, what the hell is this? And Michael has gotten him a promotion into a more management type job. Matt is like, you can't buy me off. And Michael replies, oh, I'd never dream of bribing a stalwart ethical employee like you, Matt. <laughs> God, he got it right where it hurts. Like, shut up. This job is perfect for you. It's a pay bump. There's more capable of losers like you're so fond of. And it's back up the ladder. Where, quote, I'm sure you'll have some idealistic hope of making a positive impact. <laughs> and he's like, I turn this down just because I'm offering it to you. And Matt goes, No, I'll take it because I think I can do some good. But we aren't friends and we aren't even coworkers. So you stay away from me. And Michael says, That's fine. As long as Matt remembers the golden rule, keep your trap shut and we'll both glide to the top. That was a moment I forgot. Yeah, we hadn't addressed Matt getting that promotion. So again, Michael makes sure that people owe him. Yes. Yeah, he does a good job at it. He's a son of a bitch. Do you think he's going to be a good chief president, Mary? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I don't remember what happens. I I have a general, like, memory of stuff, but in terms of the Michael storyline, because it all gets, I mean, once, I mean, the cat's out of the bag and Kimberly's back, like, that starts to overtake so much of my memory that I don't remember what he does at work. I don't know. Do you remember? I don't. Um, it has. I, I, when Peter comes in, there's a feud between Michael and Peter over who gets to be chief resident, but I, I don't remember the details as to how that comes together. And then they 
there's a whole thing there. But no, I don't know what happens in the short term with this this role. I think Michael, who last season was an intern, is now running this hospital. <laughs> and I can't remember if this means Dr. Levin is gone. I don't remember if he sticks around more or if that was the end of him. I, that I don't remember. No, he's not gone. Um, the other thing that I that I thought was worth pointing out, again, they, they were laying the groundwork of, don't forget about Kimberly, don't forget about Kimberly in a way that they normally don't. Like, they're not reminding us about Reed, right? Um, but we learned, uh, Michael thinks Dr. Levin is mad at him. And he said, is this about Kimberly? Look, I'm sorry we fell in love. I'm sorry we had the accident. I'm sorry your little prodigy didn't make it, which is a, not the right way to talk about someone you killed, uh, that they didn't make it. Um, also, someone you presumably loved and were engaged to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but what I, what I didn't know, and I don't know that this was established, was that Kimberly was Dr. Levin's uh, project. Prodigy, oh. if you will. Oh, that's a better word than project. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. But I, I think that's going to explain how when, when Kimberly comes back, because she's going to be working at the hospital again, which seems odd since she has faked her death to the hospital. Is that fair? Didn't they ship her back to Ohio and she quote unquote died? Isn't that what happened? They I don't did. Think yeah, I think what we're going to, you know, we'll talk about it next week, I'm sure. But I think what we're going to learn is that the mom just reported her dead in the hopes that Michael would not ever come looking. Oh, I would do that too if I were her mom. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to learn in later seasons. This is what she should have done. She should have done a better job of it, actually. <laughs> Well, Mary, I think we need to wrap it up. You know, we've already committed that this, this debate can continue at least all the way through season two. We've got five episodes left until the, the startling conclusion of season two of Melrose Place. Oh, my God. I, I'm going to have to. I'm, I, don't, I, I don't know what I'm going to have to do. <laughs> rest up, I guess. Get rested up for this thrill ride. This week's episode of the Melrose Place cast was very poorly prepared for by me. <laughs> oh, all right. This week's episode of the Melrose Place cast is generously supported by the following sponsor. Pew pew! It's the Wild West. What? Right now in advance. <laughs> pew pew! Guns, guns, oh, what do little kids love to play more than anything else, Teach, What's their favorite game? Uh, doctor. That wasn't what I was going for. Cops and robbers. No, not that either. Cowboys and cowboys. Cowboys and cowboys, yes. Cowboys and cowboys. You know who else loves playing cowboys and cowboys? <laughs> Pervs. <laughs> <laughs> look is this ad well planned out no it's not we're just gonna go with it and see what happens you know what in this day and age in this day you got your cell phone you got your social yep. media you got mm -hmm. your roku and your stream mm -hmm. devices you're spending all this time just watching life pass you by wouldn't you like to spend more time doing something like maybe like practicing your own creativity well we have a great new sponsor this week that I just made up and it's called Ingrid playing cowboy. Do you want to know more about Ingrid, Ingrid playing cowboy? I'm not sure I do. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to talk about it either, but here we go. So 
like I said, we all spend so much time in this like virtual realm where we're not really mm-hmm. anything. We're just looking at other things. Ingrid playing Cowboys, this innovative service offered by a perfectly normal person named Ingrid. Who has it? Yeah, Gen, Gen Xers named Ingrid. They're all over the place. They're everywhere. You can't throw a rock without hitting an Ingrid. Okay, don't throw rocks at Ingrid's. Jesus, yeah. Mary. And don't do that. I'm not, I don't support that either. Like, we should not do that. Um, anyway, Ingrid offers this fabulous new service where you just call her 900 number. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You can get off of the internet or wherever. Yep, yep. She doesn't have a website. You just have to Google it and just find her phone number. And okay. get, you get her phone number and you give her a call and she's going to come over. And you know what mm-hmm. you're going to do? You're going to spend a certain amount of time just having an interactive human experience where you're playing Cowboys and Cowboys with Ingrid. And don't we all just need more human interaction? I mean, especially during these COVID times when we're sheltering at home, you might not be seeing as many people socially or just out and about. Ingrid will come to your home. Ingrid has been vaccinated for everything under the sun. (laughs) Uh, She's going to go over and bring, I mean, when you think playing cowboy and cowboy, what do you think of? Like, what kind of accoutrement do you think of? Like, oh, nipple tassels. You're going to want some nipple tassels. You're going to want some fun little cowboy hats. You're going to yeah. want maybe a badge to wear and a vest. Maybe some skirt. Okay, but the badge needs to be, have a sticker, not a pin. You yeah, know, in case there's no clothes to yeah. put it on. Yeah, Ingrid has thought about that. Let me tell you, she has thought about all those contingencies. You're going to maybe want some spurs, maybe some chaps. She's going to come with her trunk full of fun. And you're going to play cowboy, cowboy with Ingrid. And, you know, different people have different ideas of what cowboys were doing. And Ingrid is up for whatever. She's up for whatever. Uh, cowboy and cowboy with Ingrid. Ingrid playing cowboy. This is a service that no one has done before that I'm aware of, but I also haven't been looking for it. So maybe it has been, uh, you know, just one of the many services. What I, what I failed to mention, cause I just thought of it is this is all part of the Sydney Andrews family of businesses where, you know, Sydney, oh my goodness. She's a I'm Mulholland and Vine. I'm Mulholland and Vine. This is part of her, you know, burgeoning business empire. Cause she's a legit businesswoman now. And don't, she's don't such an entrepreneur too. always full of ideas um ingrid and you know there are a whole bunch of other other you know enterprising young gals working with sydney's uh businesses they can play all kinds of things with you but you're just going to want to get in touch with sydney and find out you know what's on the docket that week who's who's dressing up as an astronaut (laughs) up as like like a pony somewhere Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe you're into Godzilla and you want to like knock over a Lego city. There's probably someone who will do that with you. You just give Sydney a call. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you, she'll and she'll put you in her book because she's old timey. She likes to write everything down in a book like a journal. And there you go. And so yeah, in the meantime, what we're promoting right now is Ingrid Cowboy. So this is it's Cowboy and Cowboy is fascinating to me because when I was a kid, we called it something different, something inappropriate, very inappropriate. And this is, I'm wondering if Ingrid could help my little sister. Probably. <laughs> so my little sister, uh, she, she married a gentleman, uh, my ex-brother-in-law. Okay. Who is um, a member of a, a Native nation out West. Okay. 
And when my little sister got pregnant with my nephew, she was talking about how excited she was to learn that it was a boy um, because she has old school definition of gender, but that's a whole nother situation. And she was talking about how fun it would be when he becomes a, like a like a little kid, like four, five, six, and that the different games they could play, including Mary, Cowboys and Indians. Oh. And she said this to her native husband. Oh, no. Who looked at her a little weird. And she just thought, oh, he hasn't played this game. So she explained it further. And she said, don't you know, you get to be the cowboy and you run around and then you kill all of them. Oh, so, no. Yeah, so that's real, real, real tea story. Uh, oh boy! And I and I just wonder what what might Ingrid say to my little sister about how to do this game better, how to do better, be best. You know, you be want best. I think Ingrid could really offer a very immersive experience um, in teaching your sister how to play cowboy and cowboy. Um, you know, for one thing, it's two cowboys, so they're on a level playing field. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, one is not from a marginalized community. They're just both cowboys because we're all about mm-hmm. equality. Uh, you know, and then I think everybody just gets, you, you're getting the same kind of cowboy outfits, the same kind of cowboy uh, weaponry, if you're into that. Uh, you, you can both wear a badge with an adhesive if you want. It's fine. It's fine. Or just one of you could be a sheriff. You can decide that amongst yourselves. And I, it just seems like a, a more inclusive and progressive way to enjoy the trappings of the Old West. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that would be helpful. So I think, you know, with this holiday season, um, I, may, I may try and call Ingrid up for my little sister. There, there's no funny business happening, right? No, this is a legitimate business. Oh, we are legitimate. <laughs> <sighs> So wait, seriously, how, how long does this show go on? How many episodes are there? <laughs> Man, I told you this, right? So it goes to season seven of the original run, but then there's the re- the reboot season. So there's how many reboot seasons? Just the one so far. So far. Okay. But there's also, but then Mary, there's the, the Amazon has the true story of Melrose Place movie that we should cover. Oh God. How long? Yeah. And, and. Uh, Models Inc. has to be covered too. Wait, what the hell is Models Inc.? It's a two-season spinoff. Of what? What do they? Of of Melrose Place from the lady from Dynasty was on it, I think. The lady from Dynasty, my God, this was like a whole industry. And I do think nine hundred two one zero to get to understand where this show came from is probably worth exploring. I I don't know if I agree with that. (laughs) And then when Allison left, she went to Ellie McBeal. Does it have anything to do with the contents of Melrose Place? I just feel like, how do you really want to be an expert in this or not? I mean, I think you know the answer to that. Okay, so we're in for all of it. Oh, God.